Today is July 24th. This is Verses in Flow. I'm Jennifer. Welcome in and welcome back. I hope y'all are well and walking into the work week with your head held high, your shoulders back, and figuratively speaking, leaning into whatever your assignment is for this week. Figuratively, because you can't literally lean in and have your shoulders back. I don't think you can do those two things at the same time, can you? Actually, maybe you can, because like when you're doing a, what is it, a, a dumbbell row, like you have to, you have to lean forward, but then you have to set your shoulders back in order to properly lift the weight. Okay, that has nothing to do with anything, but, you know, I was sitting here trying to figure out if you could actually lean in and have your shoulders back at the same time, and that's the image that came into my mind. So anyway, whatever your assignment is for this week, I hope you are doing it and doing it well. My assignment? Oh, y'all already know what it is. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. Today, we're going to focus on a captivating story from Second Chronicles featuring King Abijah. Now, despite facing a really formidable enemy, Abijah, his faith was unwavering. His faith was on point. His faith was everything. Here is an empowering truth straight from this story. When we trust God, we tap into unparalleled power. I think we take that for granted or we don't Maybe we don't think about it often enough. Whenever you face difficulties, or if you're facing them right now, read this story and commit it to memory and then come back to it. Because Abijah says, we have the Lord our God to help us. And that's a statement we can repeat verbatim. Matter of fact, that's what I'm going to start saying to my husband when he says there's something we can't do. I'm going to say, baby, we have the Lord God to help us. Actually, not only am I going to say it to my husband, I'm going to say it to all these parts of myself that keep getting on my nerves. I'm going to say, especially to that part of me that is stressing out about all the stuff I need to still get done before we bounce out of Cleveland, we have the Lord God to help us. So chill. Abijah was seriously, severely outnumbered, and he wasn't worried about a thing. And he was like, don't y'all worry about nothing. We got this. God has us. So we good. Seriously, if you take away only one thought from today's reading, let me suggest this one, especially if you're going through right now. Trials aren't denials. You are just amassing more material for your ministry or your message or your money-making venture. God does not promise us an absence of trials, but what he does promise us is the power to overcome them but only when we trust in him. When we face adversity, we are not by ourselves. God is in those battles with us, going before us, surrounding us, carrying us through. What did the songwriter say? It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Abijah, even outnumbered, emerged victorious because his trust was properly placed in God. His unwavering faith brought him victory and God honored his faithfulness. Y'all, 
God has not changed. If we stay loyal to him during challenges, we will have our moment of victory. Regardless of what our situations are, we need to elevate our gaze, look to heaven, look to God. Real victory stems from his power, not our little puny power. We are more than conquerors through him who loves us. Y'all, let's remember that today. The God we serve is a God of victory. Now let's flow into these verses, 2 Chronicles chapters 11 through 13. Good news translation, Shemaiah's prophecy. When King Rehoboam arrived in Jerusalem, he called together 180,000 of the best soldiers from the tribes of Benjamin and Judah. He intended to go to war and restore his control over the northern tribes of Israel. But the Lord told the prophet Shemaiah to give this message to King Rehoboam and to all the people of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. Do not attack your own relatives. Go home, all of you. What has happened is my will. They obeyed the Lord's command and did not go to fight Jeroboam. Rehoboam fortifies the cities. Rehoboam remained in Jerusalem and had fortifications built for the following cities of Judah and Benjamin, Bethlehem, Etam, Tekoa, Bethzer, Soko, Adullam, Gath, Marisha, Ziph, Adoram, Lachish, Azekah, Zorah, Aijalon, and Hebron. He had them strongly fortified and appointed a commander for each of them, and in each one he placed supplies of food, olive oil, and wine, and also shields and spears. In this way he kept Judah and Benjamin under his control. Priests and Levites come to Judah. From all the territory of Israel, priests and Levites came south to Judah. The Levites abandoned their pastures and other land and moved to Judah and Jerusalem because King Jeroboam of Israel and his successors would not let them serve as priests of the Lord. Jeroboam appointed priests of his own to serve at the pagan places of worship and to worship demons and the idols he made in the form of bull calves. From all the tribes of Israel, people who sincerely wanted to worship the Lord, the God of Israel, followed the Levites to Jerusalem so that they could offer sacrifices to the Lord, the God of their ancestors. This strengthened the kingdom of Judah, and for three years they supported Rehoboam, son of Solomon, and lived as they had under the rule of King David and King Solomon, Rehoboam's family. Rehoboam married Mahalath, whose father was Jeremoth, son of David, and whose mother was Abihail, the daughter of Eliab and granddaughter of Jesse. They had three sons, Jeush, Sheremiah, and Zaham. Later, he married Maacah, the daughter of Absalom, and they had four sons, Abijah, Atai, Ziza, and Shelameth. In all, Rehoboam had 18 wives and 60 concubines, and he fathered 28 sons and 60 daughters. Of all his wives and concubines, he loved Maacah best, and he favored her son Abijah over all his other children, choosing him as the one to succeed him as king. Rehoboam wisely assigned responsibilities to his sons and stationed them throughout Judah and Benjamin in the fortified cities. He provided generously for them and also secured many wives for them. An Egyptian Invasion of Judah 
As soon as Rehoboam had established his authority as king, he and all his people abandoned the law of the Lord. In the fifth year of Rehoboam's reign, their disloyalty to the Lord was punished. King Shishak of Egypt attacked Jerusalem with an army of 1,200 chariots, 60,000 cavalry, and more soldiers than could be counted, including Libyan, Sukkite, and Ethiopian troops. He captured the fortified cities of Judah and advanced as far as Jerusalem. Shemaiah the prophet went to King Rehoboam and the Judean leaders who had gathered in Jerusalem to escape Shishak. He said to them, This is the Lord's message to you. You have abandoned me, so now I have abandoned you to Shishak. The king and the leaders admitted that they had sinned, and they said, What the Lord is doing is just. When the Lord saw this, he spoke again to Shemaiah and said to him, Because they admit their sin, I will not destroy them. But when Shishak attacks, they will barely survive. Jerusalem will not feel the full force of my anger, but Shishak will conquer them, and they will learn the difference between serving me and serving earthly rulers. King Shishak came to Jerusalem and took the treasures from the temple and from the palace. He took everything, including the gold shields that Solomon had made. To replace them, Rehoboam made bronze shields and entrusted them to the officers responsible for guarding the palace gates. Every time the king went to the temple, the guards carried the shields and then returned them to the guard room. Because he submitted to the Lord, the Lord's anger did not completely destroy him and things went well for Judah. Summary of Rehoboam's Reign Rehoboam ruled in Jerusalem and increased his power as king. He was 41 years old when he became king, and he ruled for 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord had chosen from all the territory of Israel as the place where he was to be worshipped. Rehoboam's mother was Naamah from the land of Ammon. He did what was evil, but he did not try to find the Lord's will. Rehoboam's acts from beginning to end and his family records are found in the history of Shemaiah the prophet and the history of Ido the prophet. Rehoboam and Jeroboam were constantly at war with each other. Rehoboam died and was buried in the royal tombs in David's city, and his son Abijah succeeded him as king. Abijah's War with Jeroboam in the 18th year of the reign of King Jeroboam of Israel, Abijah became king of Judah, and he ruled three years in Jerusalem. His mother was Micaiah, daughter of Uriel, from the city of Gibeah. War broke out between Abijah and Jeroboam. Abijah raised an army of 400,000 soldiers, and Jeroboam opposed him with an army of 800,000. The armies met in the hill country of Ephraim. King Abijah went up Mount Zemariah and called out to Jeroboam and the Israelites. Listen to me, he said. Don't you know that the Lord, the God of Israel, made an unbreakable covenant with David, giving him and his descendants kingship over Israel forever? Jeroboam, son of Nebat, rebelled against Solomon, his king. Later, he gathered together a group of worthless scoundrels, and they forced their will on Rehoboam, son of Solomon, who was too young and inexperienced to resist them. Now you propose to fight against the royal authority that the Lord gave to David's descendants. You have a huge army and have with you the gold bull calves that Jeroboam made to be your gods. You drove out the Lord's priests, the descendants of Aaron, and you drove out the Levites. 
in their place you appointed priests in the same way that other nations do. Anybody who comes along with a bull or seven sheep can get himself consecrated as a priest of those so-called gods of yours. But we still serve the Lord our God and have not abandoned him. Priests descended from Aaron perform their duties and Levites assist them. Every morning and every evening they offer him incense and animal sacrifices burned whole. They present the offerings of bread on a table that is ritually clean, and every evening they light the lamps on the gold lampstand. We do what the Lord has commanded, but you have abandoned him. God himself is our leader, and his priests are here with trumpets, ready to blow them and call us to battle against you. People of Israel, don't fight against the Lord, the God of your ancestors. You can't win. Meanwhile, Jeroboam had sent some of his troops to ambush the Judean army from the rear, while the rest faced them from the front. The Judeans looked around and saw that they were surrounded. They cried to the Lord for help, and the priests blew the trumpets. The Judeans gave a loud shout, and led by Abijah, they attacked. God defeated Jeroboam and the Israelite army. The Israelites fled from the Judeans, and God let the Judeans overpower them. Abijah and his army dealt the Israelites a crushing defeat. Half a million of Israel's best soldiers were killed, and so the people of Judah were victorious over Israel because they relied on the Lord, the God of their ancestors. Abijah pursued Jeroboam's army and occupied some of his cities, Bethel, Jeshana, and Ephron, and the villages near each of these cities. Jeroboam never regained his power during Abijah's reign. Finally, the Lord struck him down, and he died. Abijah, however, grew more powerful. He had 14 wives and fathered 22 sons and 16 daughters. The rest of the history of Abijah, what he said and what he did, is written in the history of Ido the prophet. Romans chapter 8 verses 26 through 39. In the same way, the Spirit also comes to help us, weak as we are. For we do not know how we ought to pray. The Spirit himself pleads with God for us in groans that words cannot express. And God, who sees into our hearts, knows what the thought of the Spirit is because the Spirit pleads with God on behalf of his people and in accordance with his will. We know that in all things God works for good with those who love him, those whom he has called according to his purpose. Those whom God had already chosen, he also set apart to become like his son, so that the son would be the first among many believers. And so those whom God set apart, he called, and those he called, he put right with himself, and he shared his glory with them. God's love in Christ Jesus. In view of all this, what can we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? Certainly not God, who did not even keep back his own son, but offered him for us all. He gave us his son. Will he not also freely give us all things? Who will accuse God's chosen people? God himself declares them not guilty. Who then will condemn them? Not Christ Jesus, who died, or rather, who was raised to life and is at the right side of God, pleading with him for us. Who then can separate us from the love of Christ? Can trouble do it, or hardship, or persecution, or hunger, or poverty, or danger, or death? As the scripture says, 
for your sake, we are in danger of death at all times. We are treated like sheep that are going to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we have complete victory through him who loved us. For I am certain that nothing can separate us from his love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor other heavenly rulers or powers, neither the present nor the future, neither the world above nor the world below. There is nothing in all creation that will ever be able to separate us from the love of God, which is ours through Christ Jesus our Lord. Psalm 18 verses 37 through 50. I pursue my enemies and catch them. I do not stop until I destroy them. I strike them down and they cannot rise. They lie defeated before me. You give me strength for the battle and victory over my enemies. You make my enemies run from me. I destroy those who hate me. They cry for help, but no one saves them. They call to the Lord, but he does not answer. I crush them so that they become like dust, which the wind blows away. I trample on them like mud in the streets. You saved me from a rebellious people and made me ruler over the nations. People I did not know have now become my subjects. Foreigners bow before me. When they hear me, they obey. They lose their courage and come trembling from their fortresses. The Lord lives, praise my defender. Proclaim the greatness of the God who saves me. He gives me victory over my enemies. He subdues the nations under me and saves me from my foes. O Lord, you give me victory over my enemies and protect me from violent people. And so I praise you among the nations. I sing praises to you. God gives great victories to his king. He shows constant love to the one he has chosen, to David and his descendants forever. Proverbs 19 verses 27 through 29. My child, when you stop learning, you will soon neglect what you already know. There is no justice where a witness is determined to hurt someone. Wicked people love the taste of evil. A conceited fool is sure to get a beating. Okay, so in these verses that we read in Romans today, Paul asks a series of rhetorical questions to drive home the point that nothing can separate us from the law of God. He asks, if God is for us, who can be against us? And this reminds me of Sheree saying, who gonna check me, boo? Like for real, if God is for me, who gonna check me? Yes, that is how I feel. Paul answers his own question by saying that God himself has not even kept back his own son, but offered him for us all. If that doesn't show us that God is for us, then nothing will. This is a powerful reminder of the depth of God's love for us. If God was willing to give his own son, then there is nothing that can separate us from his love from that kind of love. Nothing, not our past, not our present, nor our future. Paul goes on to say, who will accuse God's chosen people? Then he answers this question by saying that God himself declares us not guilty. This means that no one can condemn us. We can't even condemn our own selves. So all that beating up on ourselves that we be doing sometimes, we have to stop that. We can't really condemn ourselves. Now we can talk negatively to ourselves. We can berate ourselves. We can make ourselves feel bad. But 
All of that is for naught because God has declared us not guilty. Finally, Paul says, who then will condemn them? Then he answers this question by saying that Christ Jesus, who died and was raised to life, is now at the right hand of God pleading with him for us. This means that we have the ultimate advocate in heaven. Christ is always there for us, interceding on our behalf. And I imagine that he is up there like, God, I know she messed up again. She is really struggling with this self-doubt thing. I keep trying to tell her if she stops trusting herself and just trust us, this self-doubt wouldn't even be a thing. But just just be patient with her. I've been working with her. You know she gonna get it. Come on. You know how she always comes through. She just has to trust us and she has to stay focused on that trust. She got us. She knows she has us. She's just not staying focused. She's distracted, but it's okay. Just give her another chance. Go ahead and bless her anyway. Go ahead. I don't know if that's how the conversation really goes, but that's what the imaginative part of me says. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you now humbled by the depth of your love for us. Thank you for giving us your only son. Lord, as we go through life, help us to remember that there is nothing that can separate us from your love. Lord, thank you for declaring us not guilty. Help us to let go of any guilt or shame that tries to hold us back. Thank you for Jesus, who is always there to intercede on our behalf. Help us to stay focused on him and to trust in your guidance. Lord, we ask for your continued patience and grace in our lives. We know, like you know, that we are not perfect, but also know that you have a plan and purpose for us. Help us to trust in that plan and to seek your will always above our own. Lord, we thank you for your love. We pray that we live our lives in a way that honors you, that pleases you, and that brings glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And our affirmation, I let go of pointless battles and let the Lord fight the purpose-filled ones. I let go of pointless battles and let the Lord fight the purpose-filled ones. And our aphorism, five enemies of peace inhabit us, avarice, ambition, envy, anger, and pride. If these were to be banished, we should infallibly enjoy perpetual peace. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for being on this sacred sojourn with me. You belong here, and we belong together on this journey. I love you, and if God says the same, I'll be right here tomorrow waiting for you.